This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 311. So often we can let our fear of disappointing others or the judgment of others or disrupting relationships keep us from doing what we really want to do. Hi and welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. It's the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth in a timely episode and interview today's will be. I'm Jeff Brown and I believe that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. My job is to help you narrow this reading list to only the books you need to be paying attention to, and today's book and guest author is one of them. In a moment, we're going to sit down with Margie Worrell. She's author of the new book, You've Got This, The Life-Changing Power of Trusting Yourself. I'll be asking Margie to share about proven methods for combating those negative voices in your head, uh, the need to be bold in your vision for your life and how not to let the expectations of others limit you, advice for life's inevitable struggles, advice I think we need probably more today than just about any time in recent memory, and much, much more. Last week, I shared some thoughts with those on my email list about just what's going on in our world today. And in case you're not on my email list, I wanted to share some of those thoughts with you. And a lot of it has to do with with mindset, which will will get a lot of the focus of today's chat with with Margie. Uh, though I, you know, I have some concerns and some worries. Um, I'm not fearful. I, I simply choose not uh, to live that way. I think fear uh, is a choice. I mean, there's a such thing as, as a healthy fear, but I think um, there's so much fear mongering going on right now. Uh, you know, there's things I can control. There's things I cannot control. People uh, hoarding toilet paper, I can't control that. Uh, my mindset, my reaction to what's uh, going on, those are things that I can control. Uh, one of my favorite quotes uh, comes from Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl in the book, Man's Search for Meaning. He said, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Now, that said, I want to be smart. I can be smart about where I go and don't go. I can practice social distancing, for example, and I'll admit that's a little easier when you've been working from home for seven years already. But chances are you're spending a lot more time at home these days, too, assuming your job or industry allows for that. By the way, if you've struggled with adjusting to that change, I'm, I'm happy to help answer any questions you might have. You can email me directly, jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. And I know you may have far more pressing concerns at the moment, but I did want to take uh, this chance, this moment, to let you know that as long as it depends on me, I will continue to release a new Read to Lead episode every Tuesday morning, just as I have for years now. As I said a moment ago, much of today's conversation with Margie will focus on mindset. Last week's episode, too, had a lot to do with mindset. We talked about practicing gratitude. I want to ask you today, what are you grateful for? What would make today great? Consider taking some time and and writing down answers to those questions. What are you grateful for today? Maybe list three things. And, And what would make today an amazing day? And better yet, start every day with that practice. I try to, and when I do, it's tremendously helpful and rewarding. As I mentioned, today's guest is Margie Worrell, and Margie draws on her background in business, psychology, and coaching to develop better and braver leaders and organizations globally, from the UN Foundation to Salesforce. 
The titles of her best-selling books, Train the Brave, Make Your Mark, Stop Playing Safe, and Find Your Courage, and her Live Brave podcast, reflect her belief in the potential of every person to overcome the fears and false beliefs that keep them from achieving the extraordinary. Margie walks her talk when it comes to living bravely, having ventured out of her comfort zone countless times since growing up as one of seven children on a small dairy farm in rural Australia. After attempting kite surfing with Richard Branson, she raised her sights yet again and recently climbed Mount Kilimanjaro with her husband and four teenage children. Margie is here to help embolden you with the courage and resilience you need to make braver decisions, take bolder actions, and create a bigger mark. Well, it is a delight for me to welcome back Margie Worrell for the third time to the Read to Lead podcast. Margie, you must be doing something right. <laughs> oh, wow. I actually hadn't realized it was the third time. <laughs> it puts you in a very small uh, group, uh, an elite group of folks who have been here three or some, in some cases four times. So uh, uh, congratulations, I guess. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. And I'm very, I'm very honored. Well, let's let's dive into the book, which I, I love, by the way. I want to start by having you sort of unpack how you've decided to map it out, the framework of the book, the three parts, uh, what went into deciding how to lay it out that way. You know, it wasn't clear to me at the beginning, but as I moved through writing about what I wanted to write about and it sort of unfolded out of me and sort of evolved, mm. then it became clear that they were the three parts, which which was, you know, beginning with the daring, where does self-trust or a lack, you know, a lack of self-trust and too much self-doubt keep us from daring more boldly? The second part being the growing and when we have, when we slip up and when we fall down and, <laughs> and our daring doesn't, doesn't land us the outcomes that we want. And then the, fine, the final part, the, the becoming, which mm. is really about how we as human beings never fully arrive. We're always on a journey of becoming. And uh, and so that just sort of this natural, they sort of naturally fell into these three different kind of areas of our life that I think we sort of move through over the course of our lives. Well, speaking uh, of that, we'll move through each of these uh, one at a time if we can. Margie uh, begins the book by imploring us to begin before we feel ready. Margie, why is it important that we, as you say, not wait for confidence? Yeah, you know, confidence, obviously, it's great if you've got confidence, but confidence, for most of us mere mortals, it waxes and wanes. And for some people, they can spend their entire lives wishing they were more confident. A lot of people wish they were more confident. Mm. And often we hold back from making changes to aspects of our lives that aren't lighting us up or are pulling us down or from going after what we want mm. because we lack the confidence in ourselves that we'll succeed. We lack confidence in our abilities, in our talent, in how our efforts will land with other people. And so often people can spend their whole lives waiting to feel confident in themselves before they actually just get on with living their lives the way they want. And and so my own research and experience has found that it's not confidence that's actually the most important ingredient in our lives. It's actually the, the willingness to take action in the absence of our confidence, mm. and which is obviously what courage and bravery is about. And, and trusting in ourselves that even if we don't land the result we want, we're still going to be better off for taking action. So I really believe that the willingness to act with the confidence that we wished we had is so crucial to building that, that confidence and to growing our competencies and expanding our capacity for bigger and better things. 
Well, part of the struggle, of course, is with, with confidence is the voices in our head telling us that we're, we're not good enough or we don't belong here or we're an imposter. Uh, what are some methods uh, you found useful, Margie, for combating those, those voices in our heads? Yeah, and I think, I think Jeff, you're right. All of us have them. Mm. And some of us are sort of stuck with this, you know, doubt FM playing in our heads just on repeat. <laughs> you know, who do you think you are to do that? Mm. You know, you don't have what it takes. What will people say? What if you fail? You're not as good as you think you are. At some point, people are going to realize that. All of, all of that stuff. And so one is just recognizing that those voices are just that. They are voices and they're not necessarily the truth. You know, in the book, I get into how, you know, in the simplest version, all of us have inside ourselves a small self that is all about playing it safe and avoiding doing anything that we could chip away at our ego or our identity. And, and there's another part of us, that really true part that's like that pulls on our heartstrings. And so sometimes just identifying how much of that small self, it's about fear. And when we hear those voices going, yeah, I hear you. I know you want me to play it safe, but I'm not going to let you call the shots. And so just taking some time to think about if I let this voice of doubt, if I let those negative noises in my head sit in the driver's seat of my life, what's the future looking like for me? And getting really present to the price that we pay, which can be the profound price of never fully being true to ourselves and discovering our own brilliance or certainly expressing it fully in the world. When we get present to that price, it can be a motivating force to go, you know what, I refuse to let that voice in my head dictate my life and shape my life. I'm going to take action in the presence of it. And it's why the second chapter of my book is about learning to not just doubt your doubts, but to defy your doubts, to to really stop letting those self-doubts call the shots. I think it's this point in the book where you share a story of someone who attended one of your uh, events, a conference or workshop, and and they decided to give those voices a voice. I think it was Corella DeVille or something like that. And that that helped her sort of uh, just deal with that. Absolutely. That's one of the techniques that I've written about in the book. And, you know, it kind of actually comes from, um, for those who who are familiar all with neuro-linguistic programming. And I trained and became master in NLP 15, 20 years ago. And and parts of it infused through some of my work. And one of it is, you know, the voices in our heads, when we can actually sometimes make fun of them, when we can separate ourselves from them. And one of the ways we can do that is by literally like, what is it you keep saying to yourself right now? I don't have what it takes. You know, I'm not smart enough. I need more experience. You know, no one's ever going to value me. Uh, And say that with a funny voice and make fun of yourself. And, you know, whether it's Corella DeVille or it's Mickey Mouse or whatever, it helps us realize, you know, who I am is that's not true. It's just something, a tale I've been spinning for so long, I've bought into it as truth. And it helps us go, you know what, I am, I'm not going to let that silly voice be what decides what I do. I'm going to decide what I want to do. I love it. Well, talk about the need to be bold in your vision for your life, Margie, and how not to let the expectations of others limit you. Yeah. You know, I, I grew up, as I, as I share in the book, I grew up on a, a dairy farm, a small dairy farm in rural Australia. And my parents, who loved me very much, and I know only ever wanted the best for me, their own life experience was fairly narrow in many ways. My father milked cows for 50 years, raising myself and my six other siblings. And my mum was a nun and stayed at home and then looked after us kids her all of her adult life. And so my parents' vision for me 
it couldn't possibly be as big as what was possible for me because they had their own field of vision was so narrow. And so for me growing up, my, my vision for my life extended a little beyond the back fence. And as I went out into the world, left home at 18, I realized there was a whole lot more world um, out there and a whole lot more life to be lived. But, you know, I meet other people who have grown up with parents who are like, you know, we're five generations of lawyers or doctors or, or farmers or whatever. And so, so often we can let our fear of disappointing others or the judgment of others or disrupting relationships keep us from doing what we really want to do or you know other people's fears that will fail can become our own fears it's like oh I dare not pursue that vision because it seems so bold and so daring and that's where I think it's so important not to let other people's fears or their their own limiting expectations or ideas of what's possible hem us in and so I truly believe that every one of us is put on earth to live our own unique purpose and to make our own unique mark and that it's so important to give ourselves permission to connect with the highest and the holiest vision for our lives and and that takes that takes courage that takes trusting ourselves that takes uh, daring to believe we can do more than maybe we've ever done before or that we're not even sure we can do and and to live from that place because it can really transform our day-to-day experience of being alive. Margie, what about past failings maybe that we're having trouble getting past? Uh, how are you dealing with that? Do you find that it helps maybe not to take yourself so seriously? I, I mean, you personally as well as your clients. Yeah, look, none of us land it perfectly all the time. And all of us are fallible. We have faults, we fail, we mess up, and we fall short of being the person we really want to be. And so the research shows, actually, there's some wonderful research on self-compassion. I did I did a podcast on this myself last year on the importance of self-compassion and that being kinder to ourselves in our fallen moments when we make a mistake, when we slip up, mess up, um, or when we simply, even through no fault of our own, find ourselves in a situation that isn't the one we wanted to be in. And being kind to ourselves in those moments can make such a difference in how quickly we bounce back from them, in our ability to learn from them and to take that learning and, and and really incorporating that into what we do moving forward. So in a, in a book about, you know, trusting yourself that you've got this, mm-hmm. I felt it was absolutely essential to really address how often we can be our own worst critic and how being hard on ourselves can be such a saboteur uh, toward mm-hmm. what it is we want to create. I don't suppose you've been locked out of any Nashville hotel rooms anytime recently, have you? Uh, yeah, uh, that that story that I included in that uh, opening chapter was I'd actually nearly written this book and I found myself locked. And I'm not going to give away the whole story, but I sure. found myself with very little clothing on, locked in the hall out of my room in a hallway. And uh, and I I got to tell you honestly, Jeff, if I could have dug a hole and just put myself in it in that moment, I mm. would have. But by sharing that story, uh, both in the book and, and on the stage the following morning at the keynote, the opening keynote I was doing at the conference, you know, I had so many people reach out to me and go, thank you for sharing that. You know, either that they've had a similar embarrassing experience or they've spent their whole life dreading that experience that I had. But we connect with people so much more deeply through our fallibility. 
and through our vulnerability and through being just raw and real about what we struggle with and by putting on a mask and pretending we've got it all together all the time. And clearly that was an example of where I did not have it all together (laughs) or have it all on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, share what you mean by this term selffulness and and how we can leverage it to rise above life's problems, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, this term self, well, we often hear of being selfish, Mm-hmm. And um, and that's a bad thing. And then we hear of being selfless, and and some people feel that they should be, you know, very selfless. And I I think it's so vital actually to be selfful, mm-hmm. <laughs> and being selfish and selfless can be two sides of the same dysfunctional coin. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, it's about what does it take for us to to thrive amid the uncertainty and the challenges of our lives, and to show up in the world as often as we can as the person we have it within us to be, you know, as strong and optimistic and generous and considerate and brave. And and so selffulness is being about being really intentional in prioritizing what empowers us and prioritizing what fills our cup and refills our cup. And let's face it, Jeff, as we go along through our busy lives and I I you know, I've got a pretty busy life myself, it's really easy to find ourselves feeling like we're running on empty or just feeling like we're not bringing our best selves to life, you know, just stressed out or burnt out or anxious or resentful or just not um, feeling really grounded in ourselves. And so Hence, I, I think it's so important for people to really be intentional in prioritizing those activities that allow them to reset and reconnect and refuel. And that, that's at the heart of what soulfulness is about. What are some of the ways that these issues affect uh, men and women differently, or, or do they? Yes, they do. So, obviously, we're all shaped by our environment, Uh, You know, we've we've all got different personalities, but all of us are shaped by the environment that we've been born into, whether it's the family environment, you know, the the local community environment, the culture of our social environment and the the country we're born in. And and so often we don't even recognize how much we are shaped, how our identity is shaped in that way, how our expectations of ourselves, how what we believe is possible for ourselves. And so self-doubt manifests differently um, based on that. And Mm. so our gender, obviously, whether we've been born male or female, however we identify, that can really impact how we see ourselves. And it's my experience, having lived around the world for much of the last 25 years um, and having, you know, I've lived in Papua New Guinea, Singapore, Australia, the United States, and even different parts of the United States, you know, how much where we live can shape how we see ourselves. And as a woman, and my experience is with women, we often can doubt ourselves more and back ourselves less. And so men also experience self-doubt. Men also experience fear, of course. It's not that, it's not that oh, yes, you know, men, men don't struggle with self-doubt and women do. Not at all. But actually there's a lot of research that shows there is a gender confidence gap. Mm. And, and certainly uh, – for women, I believe we often sell ourselves short mm. and we can settle too fast and we can 
struggle with believing in our ability to to rise and to be leaders and to be change makers and power brokers uh, in the same way that the men can because they've had more role models often. And so I have a chapter in the book that's really focused specifically on women in terms of don't talk yourself down and sell yourself short, but also for men because one of the biggest shame triggers for men is around appearing weak. Mm. And what we know is that men can really struggle sometimes to reach out and ask for help and get support and express vulnerability. And so I believe that it's so important for all of us, but I really want to encourage men to express their vulnerability because I think that's where we get access to our greatest strength and Mm -hmm. can forge the deepest level of connection. And so that can have its own nuance for men in a society that tells men to man up and be tough and, you know, be the provider. And, and so when men are struggling and we know there's just such an epidemic of, of suicides, far higher rates Mm -hmm. for men. And, and so much of that, despite the fact that women have higher levels of suffering from depression, because men can just struggle with sometimes owning that they're struggling. Surrounding yourself with with people who will affirm you, of course, is is key. Tell me about, Margie, some of the quote-unquote lifters uh, in your life, uh, as you call it, and and, and the difference they've made. Well, you know, I I think the first person, um, well, in my adult life, my first person I have to talk about is my husband, actually. Mm. Andrew, we've been married 26 years, and uh, I don't, I'm quite sure I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today mm. to the degree that I'm doing it uh, if it hadn't been at so many points on in, our, in my life where he said, absolutely, honey, you can do that. I mean, stop doubting yourself. Go out there. Do it. And and as I've second-guessed myself, he has been a, 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 just a massive source of affirmation and belief in me in the moments when I wasn't sure, you know, really, can I really do this? Um, so my first book, I remember so clearly saying, oh, who am I to write a book? And I don't know that much. And I'm only 36 or 37 or whatever. And he's like, honey, one day when you're old and wise and you have all the answers to the questions in the world, you can write another book. But why don't you write the best book you can write now? And with that, it gave me permission to start writing my first book, which is Find Your Courage. So he's been a a huge source of um, encouragement for me. But I have a global tribe of wonderful people that I've met and and having lived around the world, I've had to some I've planted in new communities and new countries and thought, I don't know anyone for five thousand miles, you know, and I've mm. had to go out there and really build relationships with people and I've just got a, just so many wonderful people that I can lean on or reach out to for support and to rally when I when I may need it. And uh, and I've written about some of those people in, and you've got this as well, and, and it's why I believe it's so important for all of us to be very deliberate in investing in relationships with the kind of people who lift us up and also being very discerning and sometimes we have to be very courageous about setting boundaries with the people who can pull us down. And sometimes we can find ourselves in habit relationships, um, there for the wrong reasons, and people aren't really serving us. And our, well, certainly not serving the next chapter of our journeys. Uh, I know you've uh, played a, a crucial role in pushing, um, I think it's Maddie, am I getting that right? Your oldest daughter? Yeah. To do some things that she's been, maybe had some fears about doing. Is, is she still mining your relationship for comedic gold? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Because as we speak right now, I'm in New York, Jeff, and 
I'm here for a few days and Maddie and my son Lachlan, who are both here in college, are having a four-night sleepover with me in my Airbnb. And uh, <laughs> just last night, we she was saying, you know what, on Friday night, mum, I think I'm going to go to an open mic um, comedy night and do, try and do a stand-up again. And I'm like, okay, I'm there. So... <laughs> She is. She's still mining me, as 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 I as I share in the book. I'm a, apparently a very rich source of material <laughs> for her uh, comedic aspirations, um, and I am quite sure that she will continue to mine me for that. Um, as I share in the story in the book about her, just saying, you know, oh, you know, I just trying stand up comedy as a 19 year old freshly moved to a, the Big Apple. Um, I said. Just give yourself permission to not be that great the first time. Sure. And and so, and I say that to everyone, you know, if you think you have to be brilliant at something before you start it, you might spend your whole life waiting to try and be brilliant. And actually the mm. way you get really good at things is by doing them, not by mm. thinking about them, not by planning it, but just by doing it. And uh, so, yes, I encourage her to just keep doing it. Uh, well, I've got a couple of questions I want to ask you, uh, Margie, not directly related to the book. Before I do that, anything else from the book you want to make sure we know about? You've covered quite a lot of ground. Obviously, there's there's a lot more in it than what we've talked about, but I, I certainly appreciate just even diving into some of the concepts that we have. Well, when it comes to reading, and particularly, uh, Margie, reading to learn, what do you do to help retain what you read? Any tips or tricks that you can pass along? Yeah, look, and I don't do this all the time, but I, I often do it. So I... <laughs> I don't like to say I butcher books, but <laughs> books that I've read have got li- they're lined. You know, whether it's a highlighter or a pen or a bit of both or whatever, I find close and handy. I I will always underline, and I also my when I'm really when it's a book that absolutely has just grabbed me, I'll write summary notes, but my own. I don't want to get someone else's summary notes, but I'll literally go through it. And I'll kind of type them up my mm. own little. Um, and for me, I'll sometimes write a blog about it or I'll, um, you know, write an article or incorporate it because writing about it, I mean, incorporating it into my own thinking, because often it it adds to my own thinking, that really embeds it mm. um, and, and just helps really me live it and me preach it and walk the talk. So, but definitely um, underlining and then, you know, writing even a, just a, a summary of something from it helps to really take that essence, you know, that, mm. that key essence that I got from it um, and, and, and apply it in my life and hopefully share it with others to apply in theirs. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what have you read uh, recently that's uh, sticking with you or maybe left an impression on you? Anything stand out uh, from recent, uh, recent readings? You know, well, it's not a new book, mm-hmm. actually, but it's a book that powerfully impacted actually how I wrote You've Got This. And I'm I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but it's called The War of Art, Stephen Pressfield. Yeah, and someone told me about it and he just, it's why I wrote You've Got This because from a strategic perspective, I should have written a book on leadership. I do a lot of corporate work in speaking in the leadership realm and that would have been strategically probably the better book from a positioning and marketing, but I was like, the book I was called to write was You've Got This. And um, and that book, for anyone who's aspiring to do anything where you express yourself in the world, whether as an author or an artist or a bricklayer or a whatever, I would just say, um, go and read The War of Art. What's on the horizon? What's next for you and your team that you're excited about? Ooh, 
well, I, I have been doing my PhD over the last few years, and it's on it's mm. on hold actually at the moment as I'm launching, uh, sharing this book, and trying to get the word out about it in the world. But I'm actually planning to finish my doctoral studies oh, later wow. this year and early next. So that's kind of the next big thing to get back to. Um, and uh, I've been living in Asia and also relocating back to the United States, which is also on the horizon for mid 2020. So. Lots of exciting things apart from being mum to my four fabulous kids and uh, supporting my husband and mm. continuing on with actually my um, Live Brave programs that I've been running as well, which are my immersive off-site programs that I, I do as well as all the, all the other, you know, corporate speaking and what have you. So there's plenty of, plenty of, plenty of irons in the fire <laughs> and uh, lots, lots going on in my world, Jeff. Awesome. Well, the book, again, is called You've Got This, The Life-Changing Power of Trusting Yourself. And she is three-time read-to-lead guest, Margie Worrell. <laughs> Margie, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, my absolute pleasure and privilege, Jeff. Hey, if you'd like to connect with Margie on social media or check in to her book we talked about or any of the other books that she's written or one she recommended today, whatever the links or resources might be that we talked about today, you can find links to all of those on the show notes page, the blog post created just for this episode. That's at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 311 for episode 311. Remember today to make the decision to choose how you'll respond to the chaos going on around you. Hey, if you have comments, suggestions, feedback, or questions in regard to the podcast, or if you're looking for some tips or help on working from home, feel free to reach out to me directly, Jeff, at readtoleadpodcast.com. In the next few weeks, we have interviews scheduled with Stefan H. Tomke, author of a book called Experimentation Works, also Robbie Kelman Baxter, and a book called The Forever Transaction, and we'll be chatting with Michael Hyatt about his new book, The Vision Driven Leader. All that in the coming weeks, right here on the Read to Lead podcast. That's going to do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 